it to the Easy Yoga Podcast with myself, Geminis, Easy Yoga founder, author, yoga coach, and relationship coach. It is my pleasure to have you here and for you to feel energized, calm, happy, and for you to have the perfect relationship with yourself, your partner, and your family without seeing a family therapist, changing your personality, or leaving your job. You will learn techniques and things to help you guide you through a better life through health, meditation, yoga, journaling, nutrition, and all things yoga for you to have the life you deserve and crave and for you to love yourself on a soul level. Thank you so, so much for being here today. And I am so grateful and so full of love to have you here. Enjoy this next episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode from Easy Yoga, all things yoga, well-being and relationships and today I have a wonderful guest with me. His name is Sunny Patel and he is the founder of Dish Dash Deets as well as a gut health coach and personal trainer and Dish Dash Deets is a plant-based recipe sharing site and he started it as a way to build and offer support to those like himself who have gut health problems. He suffers from IBD and also talks about gut brain axis and the relationship between the two so welcome thank you for being here hello thank you Gemma it's, it's a great pleasure to be part of this podcast it's amazing to hear the breadth of information that you bring to everyone so oh, it's a privilege you. to be a part of it oh it's gonna be exciting we're gonna Indeed, learn lots it today shall. <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll try and make it kind of digestible excuse the pun information <laughs> so it doesn't feel like oh god here we go Gemma's brought on a scientist and now he's gonna <laughs> us with all the science no <laughs> so kind of yeah how did you get into this um well both really I suppose just because you did suffer with with gut health problems yeah so it's, it's quite a long and arduous journey um, it starts from when I was first diagnosed in 2014 and prior to that I'd had a lot of symptoms and issues fortunately I'd put male bravado as kind of the forefront of my decision making um, so I did what a lot of people do not just men but you know we hear it from ladies more so now as well we kind of put the symptoms aside and just put it down to kind of feeling under the weather yeah um, to the point when I got to 2014 I started losing weight so I was having um, real bad gut issues um, and so then I was sent to hospital and I was diagnosed with um, Crohn's kind of mm -hmm. fast forward a long journey I've had colitis IBS and just navigating that with kind of mental health issues as well um, and I'd gone through the whole gamut of different types of therapies, also looking at kind of natural therapies at home, and nothing was working until I started making that decision to look at my diet, because um, yeah. I've always been into health and fitness, so I always felt my exercise wasn't an issue, but there must be something else in my life and lifestyle that needs looking at, and so I transitioned to a plant-based lifestyle um some kind of a year one and a half year two years ago so November okay. 19 and I haven't looked back since it's really kind of given me a brand new lease of life in terms of my symptom management so by no means do I say to people you know I'm cured of inflammatory bowel disease because I think it's yeah. extremely important you probably hear this a lot Gemma being in the same space that people will kind of flout kind of cures to yes. kind of lifelong chronic yeah, conditions so and that's not the case. So I, I just live a better life. I don't have to wake up in chronic pain. I have less fatigue. I have less flare ups. And that for me is life changing. 
Yeah, perfect. And actually, with the the plant-based things, we as a family are both. um, We do eat meat. But actually, the shop that I've just got on Saturday, mostly I've now gone on to the vegan or plant-based meats in a way. Oh, yeah. I would give you a a round of applause. But I have to say, I'm not preaching that everyone should convert or transition to plant-based. But I think hopefully as you start seeing it, Gemma, and you'll see it's it's so much more accessible than what it used to be. Yes, yes. And I will say, even compared to two years ago, when I first started going on this plant-based journey to where it is now, there's an abundance in terms of availability. But I think a lot of people are now appreciating and understanding how to use fruits and vegetables. Yeah. As opposed to the typical British way of just boiling it till, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's completely seen different <laughs> afterlives. And, and then we eat it. I think we're definitely yes. embracing as a nation yeah. and also younger generations about the abundance of what Mother Nature can provide. So yeah. congratulations to your family for embracing <laughs> I don't know how it's going to go down yet hopefully it'll be (laughs) all right (laughs) well I always say so a lot of my clients that I coach so I don't always coach plant-based clients it could be clients that are you know omnivore that have particular health concerns Um, and then we I coach them into transitioning slowly to plant-based but still keeping animal-based proteins when they need them and I will say at the beginning the first few weeks are cumbersome and then afterwards you'll start seeing that actually it's not as hard as one thinks it could be because I think we hype it up in our minds that you know it's easy it's convenience we know what to do with a chicken we know what to do with a piece of kind of lamb or you know a joint of pork but when it comes to vegetables we almost feel that we lack creativity. Yes, yeah. And that, yeah. Concern, and that kind of bring, brings in this whole kind of influence of fear. I see so yeah. many people that I coach. A lot of my coaching is actually kitchen confidence first and foremost, because yeah, people say, actually, hang on, it's, it's, you know, I don't, I can be adventurous. It's yeah. almost giving themselves that permission to be creative with food. Yeah, yeah. And actually a few months ago, my husband and I, we went out on a date night, but we couldn't go to the restaurant that we wanted to go to, which was a Mm. Thai restaurant, I think. So we ended up, we were in Brighton and we ended up in a restaurant called Food for Friends. And that is, it's a great restaurant and I'm really up for it. And Darren was a bit like, but we did and he had a great meal it was amazing oh, that's good so he was converted surely but it's great because Brighton I feel is such a mecca for good plant-based food I think you're yes. so lucky every time I come to Brighton there's always either a new kind of restaurant or a new yeah. types of influx of plant-based cuisine so you're very privileged compared to <laughs> sometimes where I am you know I'm between London and also um, Stafford okay. sometimes Stafford won't have the abundance yeah. of plant-based but you make what you do right with whatever you have you can actually still yeah definitely I'm I'm definitely a store of you can survive on on plant-based foods yeah and do you find that so like more sciencey I I don't know does the Mm. the meat-based foods that we eat um uh, do they have so many other things in them that that is why we get IBD and different things like that compared to plants Yeah, so look, there's a lot of research out there showing um, what the consumption um, of plant or animal-based products can do, and namely 
um, dairy and red meats. And as you can probably um, know, you know, the World Health Organization a few years ago had listed um, red meat as uh, a contributor to carcinogenic um, outputs. And obviously that does increase the risk of, of cancer and particular cancers, namely, you know, bowel cancers, etc. And the studies, and I will say, this is where I put the approach of science, okay? So the science doesn't show you cause and effect. It shows you an association. So yeah. what it will tend to do is when it does large population-based studies, it will show that a particular cohort of people are kind of transitioned over to plant-based versus those are animal-based. And they'll track to see particular health outcomes. So it could be blood work. It could be self-reported measures. And obviously, when they show a positive um, outcome, they'll say that there's an association or a correlation between those that are eating plant-based or adding more um, plant-based products to their diet are having far better and positive outcomes. Obviously, the best study would be if you could track people over a course of years and change their diets and see what happens for those that started off 100% plant-based versus those animal-based. But you can obviously appreciate, one, it would be very timely and expensive, and obviously there's ethical reasons. So what I would say to people is, You've got to look at the science from a rational lens. So the science is strong. It does show good and strong associations. But also on the flip side, we, you know, it would be remiss of me as a healthcare professional not to say to you all and to your listeners that actually there are certain aspects that you do get from animal-based foods. You know, when we look at protein source, for instance, yes. particular meats provide you the complete um, source of um, every um, amino acids that are we needed. So both non-essential and essential. And certain plant-based products will only give you a small amount of those um, particular amino acids. So it's harder for us to absorb them. But there's nothing to stop us from getting other protein sources. So you may use a a protein powder or other complete sources of protein in a plant-based diet, like tempeh, tofu, quinoa, you know, and flax seeds and chia seeds. But it's trying to look at that overall rational approach to the diet. But there's definitely... Um, science showing that you know particular animal-based products are more uh, inflammatory in nature just also because of the way that um, animal products are produced these days either through um, being highly processed or ultra processed or by antibiotic feedings um, for animals and we're knowing that you know the world health organization ranks antibiotic resistance as one of the leading causes of health issues that we need to be concerned about so there's pros and cons but overall i would say actually if you can and add more plant-based products and reduce the amount of animal-based products you're eating in your diet, it's going to have a long-term outcome because there's strong data from, you may have heard like blue zone environments. There's particular populations and indigenous populations in blue zones that have, you know, the best healthcare outcomes and longevity because of the diets, you know, things like omega oils, so omega-3, so using really good high quality oils, you know, lean proteins, whole grains, and um, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. And that's seen through things like the Mediterranean diet as well. Yeah. So the science is strong to show that actually, if you have a well-rounded, balanced diet, it will actually improve your health, but also reduce yeah. the risk factors for chronic um, conditions. Yeah, that's amazing. And actually, yeah, we were watching, I don't even know what it's called, but it was something to do with uh, I think that was a David Attenborough, actually, they were talking mm. about the blue zones. And I never mm. knew anything about that. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting, just where they live and what they eat. And I think there's one in Greece, actually, which then does 
does correlate to the Mediterranean diet exactly. and why they live so long. Exactly. And there's clusters all around the world, as you rightly say, Gemma. I think people would assume oh, a blue zone would mean it have to be in the far off exotic climes. Yeah. <laughs> but there are some in the Mediterranean. There's also some in America. So if you look at the West Coast, where they have adopted more of a Mediterranean lifestyle in terms of the diet um, and parts of Asia as well. But you've got to appreciate that diet is only one rung or pillar of that additive bonus there's also the movement and lifestyle aspect quality yeah. of life and behaviors also have a positive impact yeah so with your clients then do you get them to do like a plant-based diet but then also movement because of being a personal trainer would you yeah would you then yes. add that to it yeah so i um, have created my own gut health um, program based on five different pillars so diet and nutrition being one of them um, the other being um, hydration. So we also need to uh, appreciate and understand the power of, um, you know, hydration and the, the right quality of drinks and what drinks you should be drinking throughout the day. We have movement and different types of movement, yoga being one of them, but also the, the power of aerobic exercise and kind of um, weights and, and body exercise and strengthening and conditioning. Um, and then there's also quality of life and behavior. So really looking at mindfulness, intuitive behaviors, but also stress management and sleep. Yeah. So it really is that holistic approach. And it's not necessarily always clients that have gut health issues. It may be people that actually just want to make a positive impact in their health and reduce the risk of particular health issues or concerns. So it could be that they just have a lot of brain fog or fatigue, or they have a strong family history of particular chronic illnesses. I also coach, um, ironically enough, a lot of ladies going through either perimenopause or okay. menopause are approaching me now because there's a lot of data and science coming out about um, the intervention of diet and the positive impact of plants reducing the symptoms of the menopause. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I start off showing plant-based approach but I will always say to my clients there's nothing I, I don't bring a virtuous soapbox approach to this you know if, if you are adamant that you would like animal-based proteins we tailor the programs and recipes yeah. so every client has a tailored bespoke program and the recipes are curated and designed for them in mind as opposed to me just saying I have a black book of recipes choose what you will it yeah. really is tailored yeah yeah and I suppose when I was looking at the back of the packet of whatever I've got out of the freezer for tonight's dinner, <laughs> it's kind yeah. of like, I don't even know what it's called, um, it's soya based and yes. it is like, a, I was going to do like a lasagna or something like that. Yeah. But it's weird that, I don't know, most of it's soya, but then it does have E numbers in it as well. And I'm thinking that's mm. really bad then because meat wouldn't have that although yes it probably would because of the antibiotics and things yes. like that it's just it's not on there and it should be yeah i mean it's, it's, it's an interesting observation um so and I, it's an important observation you've made there as well Gemma. i think obviously the difference with a lot of these packaged plant-based products are that they have been processed or you know kind of reconstituted from the original form so they've used soya as the main bulk or protein stay for that burger or product or mince but they obviously need to add other things like emulsifiers additives and preservatives to prolong that shelf life and to change the texture um, in certain occasions as well and what this is where I help people to kind of appreciate and understand actually there's other sources so you can find soya you can find soya for instance as a textured vegan protein equivalent which is basically soya and it's just dehydrated soya okay. you rehydrate it and you're still going to get the benefits of soya the protein the isoflavones etc 
but you're not having the E numbers, as you say. So it's just yeah. finding the equivalence. And at the same time, there's nothing to stop us as human beings, knowing that we have chaotic lives. We can't be kind of um, padlocked to the, the kitchen all day. So sometimes for <laughs> yeah. convenience, we need to kind of rely on some of these products that are out there. But I think it's about moderation, knowing that yeah. you can't rely on a fully processed diet, albeit plant-based, because a lot of people will say, well, actually, well, I'm vegan, so it's healthy. But we know the data out there, you know, yeah. despite it being plant-based or not, particular additives and preservatives and emulsifiers also have a negative impact on your gut health. They really affect the good gut, gut bacteria in the long term. And that's what we want to try and optimize. There's a, an abundance of data now showing that actually, if you can optimize and really look after your gut bacteria, it's going to help you long term, you know, yeah exponentially as opposed to you know these dietary interventional approaches where they'll say restrict this and go on a low carb or a keto yeah. diet you know a lot of my approach is not diets I don't use the word diet um, with my clients we use diet in the true scientific senses what is your habitual day-to-day -day eating pattern and yeah. that's really important so it's balancing some of those convenience foods yeah. with what sources you can get without adding the additives yeah and do you like kombucha as well yeah, so I, get, I get asked this <laughs> we do. an awful we amount of time I would have to say personally I don't like the flavor of kombucha a yeah. lot because I feel it has a little bit of a alcoholic taste and kind yeah, of an afternote yeah. and it does I mean there's a very low amount of alcohol in there because of the uh, the byproduct from the fermentation um but it's it I, with me Gemma I'm, I'm one of those enigmas on certain days I'll drink <laughs> something and I'll be like oh my god it's the best thing since sliced bread yeah. and the other days I'll be like oh no I don't like this <laughs> but you know that a lot of people do swear by kombucha what I would say to people again it's moderation because it's a carbonated drink mm -hmm. and you've got to look just as much as you have on your other products on the ingredients sometimes there may be higher sugar content and things like that so it's just yeah. balancing but there's no denying that this potential probiotic effect the one thing that people have to be aware of it's not labeled as a probiotic because yeah. of the food standards agency and um, criteria because there's not enough data to show that kombucha has had a positive effect on the host i.e you when you drink it yeah yeah because i make my own but the actual yeah. what's it called i can't remember the scoby scoby it's called yes. yeah it looks like yeah. a uterus it's really weird <laughs> yes yeah it's strange isn't it it's, when you look at all these starters and where things come from in order to to kind of ensure live growth of the bacteria yeah. it is strange it, it's quite um, an outer worldly um, looking thing but so <laughs> beneficial and you know that's the other beauty about kind of gut health approach sometimes a lot of people start experiencing and experimenting with foods yes. and you know I'm sure you probably wouldn't have imagined saying five years ago you're going to have your own scoby and no. <laughs> your own kombucha and that's the beauty of all these things and understanding food and where it comes from and the benefits yeah so what's the difference between probiotics and prebiotics yeah so it's a great question so probiotics are a source of live microorganisms so generally we know it as bacteria so uh, most common ones are lactobacillus and bifidobacterium and you've probably heard of those because of the mass advertising we get with particular products that you get on the shelf yeah. and those will provide you a source of live bacteria to go directly to the gut and they come in different forms they can be by tablets they can be by liquid or natural sources of food as well 
Now, the thing you've got to be careful with probiotics is people feel it's the holy grail and the answer to optimum gut health. And from a um, dietitian's perspective, but also a healthcare approach, we only really recommend probiotics for people that really need it. So for those that have been on a long course of antibiotics, have had particular gut surgery, or have gone through a restrictive diet because of their gut health, that you need to build up your gut bacteria again, where, back, where probiotics like the tablet or the liquid form is beneficial. But what I say to people is actually there's natural forms, fermented foods, you know, sauerkraut, sauerkraut miso, yogurt. Yes. Um, they're great sources that you can add day to day. So that's your source of live bacteria or other organisms that are in theory supposed to add a beneficial benefit to the host, okay, i.e. the person um, consuming that product. Yeah. On the flip side is prebiotics. Um, and prebiotics are essentially sources or a form of fiber that can't be digested by your intestines, but only in the colon and can only be broken down by the gut bacteria. And they provide a fuel and energy source to the good gut bacteria because the prebiotics, and they come again in natural food sources, things like bananas, oats, Jerusalem, artichokes, leeks, you know, there's a gamut of natural sources. But once they're fermented and broken down by the gut bacteria, they release what we call short chain fatty acids. So you may have heard some things like propionates and butyrate, and they are um, positive benefiting compounds to the body. We need these for our daily function. So butyrate has been shown to show positive benefit for brain function, for instance. They also help to maintain our gut lining so that obviously we don't, we can maintain that barrier between the blood and our gut. So, you know, the bad bacteria don't start creating inflammatory responses in the body yeah. so prebiotics are just as important as probiotics the thing is we get more information and media um, attention on probiotics because it's the easiest way and people think well there must be lots of money plowed into probiotics <laughs> we forget about the benefit of prebiotics because that's going to keep maintaining our abundance and quality and resilience of the good gut bacteria yeah yeah <laughs> So I just wanted to share with you that I am totally in love with Confused Girl in the City yoga brand. They have all kinds of apparel which include crystal inspired leggings, capris, shorts, joggers, as well as tanks, tees, sports bras, hoodies and swimwear, and accessories ranging from towels, beanies, face masks and bags. And I have a few of these leggings and tanks and I absolutely love them. They are so soft and really, really comfortable. Now Giovanna, who started the Confused Girl brand, she started it as a blog and when she went on her healing and spiritual journey, she met a healer who had a profound effect on her. He had a collection of crystals and told her to pick two to take home. One day she was meditating and she had a vision of creating a line of women's activewear that was inspired by these crystals. Now Giovanna takes high resolution photos of crystals that inspire her and work with an art team to print them onto fabric. Each pair of leggings represents a different stone. These healing crystals balance yin yang energy and cultivate courage, creativity and healing. And their leggings are four-way stretch, breathable and made in LA and they pride themselves in using the best quality fabric on the market. These leggings are great for working out or going out or just chilling as well. 
So why the name Confused Girl? Well, Giovanna's answer is simple. It is really easy to accept yourself when you are feeling good and your life is the way you want it, but it isn't so easy to accept yourself when things are tough and you are confused. And we shame ourselves in times when we need to be embracing ourselves. Confused Girl is about accepting yourself just as you are at this moment. This acceptance will leave you, lead you to your true nature. Beauty begins the moment you decide to be yourself. So you can see why I love this brand so much. So head over to the website today, which is confusedgirlinthecity.com and use code yogigemma for a 20% discount at the checkout. That's yogigemma for 20% discount. Head on over now and check them out. And does having water, I know we touched on the drinks aspect of Mm -hmm. it earlier, but would you say more water, like trying to have two liters a day or maybe three liters a day, because then that's going to push everything through the waste that you don't need as well. Is that good yeah. or is that? So there's, there's, there's pros and cons to drinking water. And when I mean, when I mean the cons, there's people need to be aware there's cons to drinking too much water as well. So if you look at reputable um, sites of information, such as the British Dietetic Association, there's guidelines in regards to how much water one should drink. We also have to remember that it's not a one size fits all approach. So for me, three liters may be sufficient, but for you, Gemma, it may be only two liters because of body type, the way we metabolize, that you know what we need in terms of a detoxification hydration um, perspective so i would say aim for at least two liters as a minimum and then tailor it um, around that thing depending on how much you need and the best source or best way of knowing if you're hydrated or not are one looking in the toilet in terms of the color of your urine but also your symptoms if you're feeling fatigued or you're getting a headache or sometimes if you're feeling awfully hungry it sometimes can be dehydration so just have a look at in terms of really your approach in terms of hydration and water. And we know water doesn't just help digestion. You know, we've always thought, well, actually, it just helps in terms of that liquid source for stools to help us um, to pass stools easier. But water has an abundance of other benefits in terms of helping us from a, a cell process perspective, but also from brain health. Um, you know, the way that we absorb and break down um, particular substances in our body, it's extremely important that we look at water from a holistic perspective, especially because we're very kind of high proportion of water in terms of our body system as well. Yeah. And would you say warm water or cold water? When I get up in the morning, I have cold water and I know that's bad. It should, I think it should be warm anyway. But yeah, look, I I, there's, there's no definitive science behind the cold and hot water approach. Um, you know, I would want, I would say whatever works for you, you know, if it allows you to drink more water and meet your quota for the day, then stick to the particular temperature. And, you know, for instance, they will say, you know, if you are having certain gut health issues and you have like a spasm or bloating, cold water sometimes just help just to stamp, start, stamp out or dampen down that kind of spasmoid um, effect. But then some people will say, well, actually, you know, using hot water on a hot water bottle helps. So I really think there's no kind of gold standard approach to water and the temperature, but obviously just plate by ear in terms of what works for you. Yeah, it's really. just your body, knowing your body and exactly. everybody is different. 
Exactly. Yeah. I would just say around, you know, you, you've said this important kind of analogy about drinking water in the morning. I would say to people, just be wary of when you hear a lot of these social media movements about, you know, drinking a glass of water with lemon juice will cure you <laughs> of ailments and make you a superhuman. It's just not true. It's not also it's not going to help you lose weight. You know, people, and you've probably seen this a lot, Jimmy, you'll see, and you probably get asked this by your clients, you know, oh, I've seen this, that if I drink water and lemon in the morning, yeah. then, you know, I will lose weight in six months. I'm like, well, no, there's other approaches. It's, <laughs> that is not your answer, but it's that holistic approach, really. Yeah, yeah, it is. And what things, again, everybody is different, but yeah. what things are mainly make you bloated? Like I know with me, if I eat bread, mm. Uh, mm. even like um, sourdough it still bloats mm. me out and is that mm. something that my body just doesn't like or is it something that it, because of the yeast in it it doesn't yeah that? so bloating is an awfully funny um, concept and an issue that we all go through because we all assume bloating is because you've eaten too much and it's in the stomach but sometimes actually it's not just about what we've eaten it's how we're eating that can actually impact bloating because bloating is essentially trapped out within the gastrointestinal tract which can be the small and the large intestine more so the large intestine as well that's when we start feeling the expansion it's because of air and it could be that we've just rushed our meal we've had some carbonated drinks or we've had artificial sweeteners because artificial sweeteners and particular batteries like processed foods impact the gut bacteria such that it can favor what we call a state of dysbiosis, which is when we have more bad bacteria versus the good bacteria. And the byproducts of that fermentation when the bad bacteria are working is you get more kind of gas, wind and, and fluid in the colon, which then impacts the gassiness and the bloating as well. So I'd say to people, just first of all, be aware of how you're eating, when you're eating and what you're eating is also important. And when it comes to what you're eating, obviously have a look at particular, if you've got rhythms or patterns of particular food products that are making this, um, the symptoms worse, I wouldn't say disregard it completely. Just yeah. make sure first follow a food diary and see, is it truly that? Because we're also in a society where we're very quick to say we have a sensitivity or an allergy or an intolerance. And you only really know that truly if you've had an allergy test okay. um, and sometimes dysbiosis can mimic an intolerance or a sensitivity. And I would say to people, really focus on working with an individual that can help you through your gut health first before you discount and say, well, I must have a yeast um, allergy. Or I must have a gluten intolerance because sometimes it's not that. Yeah. You know, there are particular foods, obviously, that if it takes a while for it to transit through the gut, if you have a slow a gut transit time, then you're going to be more bloated anyway and that's when you've got to look at your dietary approach and work with a gut health coach or a dietitian truly yeah. using evidence-based and scientific approach to alleviate the bloating we shouldn't also discount stress and lifestyle management we also know that there's a lot of evidence now for instance when you look at gut health and ibs issues when you look gut use gut directed hypnotherapy if you use other psychological interventions like therapy, CBT, but also yoga and other exercise or movement um, focused interventions, they have reduced the amount of self-reported symptoms and bloating as well. So there's yeah. definitely an impact of lifestyle factors outside of just diet because we know the gut and the brain are so intrinsically linked together. Yeah, yeah. And I think going back to what you eat or... The 
how you eat it mm. i read somewhere and i don't know where it was from but you need to chew one mm. mouthful 20 times is that correct <laughs> yeah look there's there's always going to be these wives tales or urban myths yeah. around chewing and you probably heard it from years and years and years ago i remember my grandparents telling me and they're from india and they talk about chewing food and i think it's it's not about the amount in terms of the number of chews i think it's again goes back to the quality of chewing and it sounds so <laughs> weird to say this but as as we become so much of a kind of fast-paced society I think if you just stopped and paused and actually took stock of how you eat you probably realize that you don't spend much time chewing you probably swallow it quicker than you chew so I would say if you have to intuitively count your chews and it helps you to chew then please do that but there is no hard or fixed rule to say 20 is better than 10 or yeah. 30 is the magic number I think it's just the principle of chew your food because it's going to help the digestive process it's and then it's going to help reduce the amount of air that gets trapped within your intestinal or your gastrointestinal tract which will reduce the amount of bloating so yeah. 20 30 40 50 you name whatever <laughs> you want but just make sure you're chewing but also when we look at intuitive and mindful eating it's more about making sure that you you're kind of getting rid of any distractions around you really honoring and gratifying yourselves in that moment around that plate of food because you will reduce the amount of bloating you get and then reduce the temptation of lying down straight away and okay. you know i think we're all in this netflix kind of era where we feel actually it might be quite 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 nice and a treat to kind of sit in front of the tv and watch netflix and eat and we're like let's just pop the plate on the side and lie <laughs> down now but actually it does start contributing to slower transit and the poor digestion and exacerbates the bloating so be mindful you know whatever practice you can put on a day-to-day -day basis will help you in the long term is that because if you are walking around or if you've just eaten and then you're walking around, your blood is moving more and it's just your body is then moving more. Whereas if yeah. you're just sat, then you're going to be sedentary anyway. So there's two aspects, right? So in terms of the question you asked was around circulation. And we obviously know from a cardiovascular blood circulatory health movement positively impacts blood health anyway. And heart health and overall we need to ensure that our blood is delivering the vital nutrients and oxygen and also delivering away any toxic agents from our vital organs to allow us to function as we normally do so exercise obviously has a positive aspect on that part from a digestive process exercise and movement just helps from a, a digestive process and stimulating our digestive nerves as well so it just kind of it, allows one the act of gravity to also help but also just our muscles generally within our gastro intestinal tract to be working doing what they need to do yeah yeah that's so interesting i'm learning so much it's amazing. oh i'm so glad yeah well look imagine <laughs> being with me every day every day is a, a school day with me because i'm a geek by nature and it's just this is the beauty of our body and also the gut and this is why i focused on the gut not just because yeah. of my my own health issues just because the science is you know growing abundantly and it's so intriguing to see how the gut is centered to a lot of things and you know when we look at the kind of the the grounding or the forefounding of medicine and what we appreciate now in medical and healthcare aspects 
you know, the philosophical and cultural aspects to food and medicine are really now what we're advocating and seeing. So there's definitely an impact of food and lifestyle in terms of health outcomes and the gut is central to that. Yeah, yeah. And do you find with your clients that depending on what they eat or how they move, they, well, everybody is different again, but that they do see results quite quickly or does it depend on your body shape as well or yeah so content and stuff it really depends on what the outcome is so i will say a lot of the clients that i work with i'm not one of those typical coaches where we'll say the goal is that you lose x amount of weight in this amount of time and we're going to track your um, well-being through um, photos of your body because that just goes against kind of the principles yeah. and the values that I built up my program and what I wanted to do with people what we do is we track symptoms um, and a lot of that is scientifically validated through symptoms and healthcare questionnaires that I've worked with in the past but a lot of it sometimes is self-reported you know there's there's no question right there that sometimes can track your feeling of elation or happiness or the fact that you're in the kitchen more creatively cooking things but we generally know from a gut health aspect when a lot of my um, clients come to me and say look I don't have a diagnosis of a particular condition but I want to feel better because I'm getting particular gut issues we know that it takes around about 28 days for your gut microbiome to start replenishing and seeing a positive aspect and then that can go all the way to three months. So a lot of my programs are 12 months where you have weekly touch points with me, you're supported and guided. But some people will say even within two weeks, and a lot of the secondary outcomes are even better. You know, for instance, I, I mentioned that I work with a lot of ladies going through the menopause and they will say, well, look, I really want support on particular menopause related symptoms like the bloating yeah ibs like symptoms but at the same time once they start using the dietary and movement approach they start noticing that they're losing the weight that they put on through the menopause that they're reducing the severity of hot flushes they're sleeping better their skin quality is better so there's a lot of other additive benefits that they don't necessarily think that they want to focus on but they see it as benefits as well but yeah yeah, I've noticed it as little as two weeks but we generally consistently see it throughout the 12 weeks and beyond as well yeah yeah and do you think we should eat more intuitively as well instead of just having three meals a day or three meals and some snacks either either side would you say that because I think we as as our societies now all over the world have just had right you need breakfast lunch and dinner at Mm. these certain times but you're not actually listening to your body yeah and this is great this is literally what I always extol to people that I will never have the answer to for someone they are the answer in terms of you know if you're hungry and you you know if you're not and there's a lot of science around what we call the chronobiosity of um, us as human beings and obviously we have what we call circadian rhythms which is our natural body clock and that doesn't just govern our sleep pattern but it also governs how our organ works it's really um, symbiotically linked for instance with heart health but we also know this impacts things like digestion and our hunger cycles and we can see differences for people that have shift pattern working versus traditional nine to five and this is why there's been an abundance of intermittent fasting as well that people are saying well actually do we truly need to eat three meals a day or can we do better by reducing the amount we eat and 
That's the difference, right? In terms of intermittent fasting and reducing the amount of calories you eat are two different things. So it's really yeah. important for you to understand and realize why are you doing intermittent fasting? And are you working with someone that can navigate that in a safe space? Because a lot of people are doing it and realizing that then that, you know, there's a state of almost malnutritional undernutrition mm-hmm. because they're all they're focusing on is the calorie counting of intermittent fasting. But actually the science has shown that if you do take on an intermittent fasting approach there is long-term gains to be had especially from a sugar health perspective a satiety so feeling fuller for longer and reducing your um, risk of other um, conditions like obesity and type 2 diabetes or what we call metabolic syndrome and pre-diabetes and what the studies have shown is actually there is a power to, to breaking fast so breakfast before around 10 a.m is 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 beneficial okay. and as long as it touches all the food groups that you need and then your second meal can vary a lot of people find that actually as long as you eat before 6 7 p.m you allow one to two hours for digestion um, and then that will um, help you to go to bed so time restricted eating and intermittent fasting has shown positive impacts but again it has to be done through a coached and supportive approach and really knowing what works for you as an individual, because we've got to make sure you get all your nutrients, the micronutrients and essential macronutrients that you need, and that the calorie deficit is within a safe uh, window. You don't want to be drastically cutting your calories because we need it to function, just the same way we need carbohydrates to function. Um, so yes, yeah, some of my clients will have intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating approaches, but we do it in a kind of a, a very focused, supportive um, role before we say this is the approach they're going to take. But yes, for some individuals, um, t- um, intermittent fasting does help and only two meals with snacks yeah. support. You know, there's some science showing that snacks don't really provide any benefit. You know, a lot of people will say eating little and often helps from a, a blood sugar perspective and keeping your blood sugar stable, which helps moods, but also your insulin resistance perspective and also um, feeling fuller for longer. But again, I would always say the best scientific evidence is you as a person. Yeah. And really yeah. working with someone. You will know best what works for you. Yeah. That's what I say with my clients as well, because me, my body likes to eat every two to three hours, but small mm. meals. Mm. And I'm not eating. Oh, yes, I will have like a big meal like yesterday we did. But I know that, yeah, my body knows what it needs because yes. I'm quite intuitive. Whereas I think a lot of people aren't and we need to get yeah. into that. We need to listen to our bodies more. And especially with my children as well. I know when they are hungry because they get really angry and agitated yes. and mm-hmm. emotional. And I'll say, look, you're not normally like this. You don't normally cry over the certain whatever it was. <laughs> Have some food and then two mouthfuls yes. later, they're back to normal and they're fine. Exactly. <laughs> and I think you're, you're so right there, Gemma. I think we need to allow ourselves a, a permission and in the equal space, forgiveness to ourselves, to one, just approach intuitive um, kind of living. Because at the same time, you just use the example of your children when they feel hangry. Yeah. Same time, you, it also depends on what you're putting into your body. You know, sometimes you will notice that, yes, you're hungry or you've, you've mastered what approach works for you. 
in terms of how many meals and when to eat but if you're putting you know for want of a better word crap into your mm -hmm. body yeah. you're going to feel crap you know ergo you're going to feel whatever you feel so that's yeah. the thing you've also got to intuitively allow your space to say well actually when I ate this particular meal how did I feel versus another and that's why I say to my clients my cl I always say to my clients the best evidence is self-generated evidence so find what's working for you and report back. And this is why it's extremely important that they have check-ins with me. We log everything down. And I think there's a beauty of self-generated evidence and reflection that allows yeah. you the beauty of, um, you know, um, being more intuitive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And to sum up what we've said, two takeaway points. Now I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, oh no, that's fine. I can, oh, so first is, I'm going to say it again, is, allow your, yourself that space, that permission to really look at what you need in your kind of well-being approach. And then once you know that, look for the right support. Don't ever be afraid to look to get to help someone because it is an investment that's well worth investing in. And a lot of people will look at looking at coaches as, as, a, as a very heavy investment. But when you look at actually once you spread it out in terms of the life term and lifelong benefits it's going to have, it's far better than that short term. We're saying, well, actually, a certain program is only £100. Why am I paying £100 versus something else? Or why should I go with a particular coach? So that's my first tip. The other tip, you wouldn't be talking to me if I didn't say anything around gut health. So I would say wherever you can, add as many plant points. So that includes fresh fruit, vegetables, um, nuts and seeds, herbs and nut milk. They all count towards plant points. So 30 unique plant points and 30 grams of fiber um, a day is really going to serve you well for the long term. And that's been scientifically proven. So 30 grams of fiber a day and 30 unique plant points a week. Um, will do you incredibly well compared to all these other restrictive diets that are flouted around everywhere yeah perfect oh thank you and where can we find you what's your website or your social platforms yep so you can find me under dish dash deets or if you look up dr sunny um, and that's on instagram as well as um, my website which is dish dash deets.com and that's got a whole plethora and library of um, scientific articles recipes but also you can reach out for either coaching or other services um, that I offer, but everything's also available on Instagram. Perfect. Oh, thank you so much. It's been amazing. It's yeah, been no, really thank you good. for having me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. And thank you for the wonderful questions as well. Oh, that's all right. It's been fun. <laughs> we'll definitely catch up soon. Definitely. Indeed. Yeah. Take care. Stay safe and stay well. Thank you. Oh, so as always, I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. So please leave a comment or tag me on social media using at Yogi Gemma. I'm always so grateful to hear your thoughts. And thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this episode. I will be back next week with another one, another fun episode for you guys to listen to. And also please leave a review on iTunes or like and subscribe to this podcast because it really means the world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much and I will see you very soon. Music